Hi guys, welcome to the Art of Acquisitions podcast. Here we discuss how you can create cash flow and grow your wealth with acquisitions. We have a great guest lineup, including Craig. Craig bought two businesses with 10 million in sales, no money down. And Alan, Alan has led multiple deals ranging in value from 1 million to 9 billion. Yes, that was right, 1 million to 9 billion. Art of Acquisitions, simply the fastest strategy to create cash flow and grow your wealth. Hey, welcome everybody to uh, Taylor Capital's live broadcast and podcast. Uh, today, we've got Gavin, Gavin Gallagher, who's been around the commercial property space for some time now. And this podcast is all about, you know, cash flow, capital events and creation of wealth through acquisitions of businesses or commercial property and or both. And no better person today than is to have Gavin. So Gavin, welcome to the podcast. Really, it's, it's an absolute honor to have you here. You got a great story that's kind of quite similar to mine in terms of you know being on the emotional roller coaster of deals uh done great lost got it all back again and it'd be great to get a, a little intro from yourself of you know how you got into it, all this kind of acquisitions commercial property and whatnot when did it all start and how did you get into it it's a long story but i can shorten it uh, to some degree the uh I might, I started out as a, uh, like I'm born into a real estate kind of family. My grandfather and my father were both involved in it. And so it was kind of in the DNA. And, um, I used to kind of, as a, as a kind of small child, used to hang around building sites where they were building houses and stuff like that. So I was kind of familiar with running around scaffolding and stuff at the age of like five and things like that. Um, I grew into it decided around about my late teens that I wanted to get into architecture after a holiday in New York City with the family. And I kind of went, wow, these you know, huge skyscrapers are very impressive and inspirational. And so I kind of got the bee in my bonnet that I wanted to be an architect. And up until that point, I had been probably the least academic student in my school. I like I remember I, getting a spelling test one out of 50 was my score. <laughs> and I, I don't think you could do much worse than that. And uh, I, and so I just wasn't an academic. I didn't really apply myself at all. I had, I think I probably had ADHD or whatever it is that they uh, prescribe nowadays. And, uh, and then suddenly I kind of thought, oh, wow, architecture looks really interesting. I'd like to get into that. And I became tunnel focused on sort of doing whatever it took to get into college there. Um, became an, uh, like studied, basically got into college, was studying architecture. And then in third year of a five year course, my father went on business to uh, Africa and he died um, as a result of that trip. Um, he was only 45 years of age, so very young. I was 21. And, uh, and it was like, whoa, like a train hitting you. Um, and he was an active businessman and property investor. And um, myself and my mother, I was 21. My mom had a couple of younger kids that she had to try and take care of. And I was kind of like, you know, let's try and figure this out. And I had no business expertise at all. I mean, architecture is the last place that you want to be kind of studying if you want to kind of fall into that situation because it just doesn't prepare you for any kind of business decisions and stuff. So um, suddenly rolling up the sleeves, getting involved in the business, um, we had a family business and then my dad had made a couple of different investments into different places and um, we just did our best, but we were really, you know, lost at sea. No idea. We sold out of quite a few different investments that went on 
to make you know tens of millions that if we'd stayed in we would have enjoyed but we didn't get any of that benefit at all say that again property investments yeah uh, it was actually some business investments as well um my dad was kind of a, a bit of an angel investor and he invested he backed two or three guys that actually went on to do incredible things and um he he backed a kind of a, a you know startup airline that uh, joined forces with Richard Branson, and they did they did a thing called the Virgin City Jet, which was um, they thought that you know salmon and champagne on a trip from Dublin to London would be very successful. It wasn't particularly smart. Ryanair came along and ate their lunch. But then there was a, a guy called Dennis O'Brien, and he's uh, in Irish circles. He'd be a very well known businessman. I'm not sure in the UK and stuff, but he was a young, really highly ambitious guy. And my dad backed him at about the age of 26 or 27. And he's gone on to become a billionaire. And he start, He was in telecoms. He was in media. He was in all of these different interests. And dad was one of his number one backers way back in the day. And we got out of that business with, I think, like 500,000 uh, of an investment and Dennis went on to make 250 million, you know, like five years later or something like that. So it was quite painful to look back uh, and realize all the mistakes that we made. And so I was hyper ambitious in the real estate space. And I was an architect, but being thrown into the deep end in real estate and all that, I just decided that architecture wasn't for me. And I just started getting in heavily involved. Well, that's a painful experience. I got half a million and then it goes on to make 250. Yeah, yeah, painful. Yeah. And it's what he did with that two fifty is the interesting thing because he turned that into like three or four billion, and he now has like private jets and all this kind of stuff. So he's done incredibly well. And I mean, it was incredible to think that way back when I was a teenager, I can remember meeting him and speaking to my father. And after he left, my dad was saying, "Remember that guy." He says he's only a young guy now, but he will be something important in the future and my dad could see it way back then it's amazing to have that talent isn't it to spot other talent you know it's almost like spotting a collection of yourself and someone else your dad's probably doing yeah well what's amazing is just um it how it how it bore fruit i mean just the the guy went on to do incredible things and uh and my dad was in there at the ground you know and i'm just unfortunately had he not had he not died like he was in the inner circle with Dennis and he was on the board of directors and he was, you know, he was just him and Dennis got on really, really well. And he was kind of like, I guess, kind of a mentor because he was, I, I think about 10 or 15 years older than Dennis. And, uh, and sure enough, anyway, it's very unfortunate that he died when he did, because he would have gone on to be part of that whole thing, I think. Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, and, you know, what, what is your number one kind of investing strategy for commercial property? You know, what is it? the thing that you're really kind of mastered and made it your niche kind of thing? It's evolved over the years. At the time when I got involved in, uh, I mean, the family business was involved in building a, a business park. And I was, you know, young sort of graduate ar architecture student. I knew nothing, literally like clueless. And so I let my, my father's partners kind of basically run the show. Uh, they were actually re related to him as well. And so... It was in safe enough hands, in my opinion, and I decided that I would focus on doing my own stuff. And so I was doing a little bit of architecture, but I got into a couple of deals where I suddenly realized the power of real estate. I bought 
piece of property in the in rural Ireland for 25,000. And within six months, I made 125,000 profit on it. And I remember thinking, wow, I mean, I'll never do anything like this in architecture. So I started to just get really heavily involved. And then I got into um, subdividing uh, retail units that were sort of Opti- that were not optimally sized. So I would buy something that was say 5,000 square foot and split it into maybe 1,000 square foot units. And the, the uplift in value was capable of making me three or five times what I invested. And so that was a real eye opener. And when I did that, I decided like a cookie cutter approach, just look for as many of those as I could do. And every time as I was doing that, I would notice somebody along the way doing something a little bit tweak on that that would improve it even more and i would kind of go down that road and so it kept on growing like that it's always in high street or some warehousing as well it wasn't always high street um but it was usually in a kind of a town center urban center and what it usually was was apartment buildings with a row of shops on the ground floor and what typically was happening was the the developer of the apartment building above was not interested in the retail component. He wanted to just sell the apartments and go. And he was forced by the planners to put these retail units in. And he was kind of like, oh, for God's sake, you know, why do we have to do this? What a waste of a nice ground floor for apartments, in his opinion. And we were like, we'll take them off you. Thank you very much. And we would, you know, quietly turn that into a lot of profit. So um, it was a good strategy. Buying the whole ground at wholesale and then splitting up and mix. Essentially, yeah. Fantastic, love it. If you're a business owner, professional or SaaS pension trustee and you want to stop the inflation erosion of your capital, you want to create cash flow and grow your retirement capital, but you just don't have the time. Do you want a baby without the labour pains? Then if you qualify, you may be able to invest with us. If that's you, pop along to tailorcapital.co.uk. We do the deals so you don't have to. It's kind of like the Netflix of investing. We're, we're doing one just now, actually, just exchanged a couple of weeks ago, and it's a uh, chops and uppers type of thing, where we're developing flats on the uppers to sell to kind of try and get the ground floor for free. Now, we, we might fail, but if we fail, it was kind of in the region of uh, 10% gear, you know? Which, yeah, still not bad. Yeah. <laughs> bad, absolutely. Take it all day long. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a great strategy, you know, wholesale to retail kind of thing. And then, you know, for somebody coming into commercial, um, you know, from potentially a residential space or somebody investing in like commercial property, maybe they've got a pension they want to invest with, or maybe they've got a company, they've got excess cash, and they want to start building up those investments for recurring revenue uh, for when they retire kind of thing. What would you, somebody just starting out, what kind of invest, you know, advice would you give? You know, what kind of strategy, what kind of a niche sector would you go for? Um, okay, well, I mean, there's a couple of questions there. I'll tell you what I'll do is I, my approach in that would be, um, and I'm going to sort of take a leaf out of my own book from the past, is I was an active development manager. And um, so I was the person who was rolling up my sleeves and going out, either finding the deals or if somebody brought a deal to me, I would manage it for them. And and I would usually co-invest with them in it. And so if I was a person who was, say, a company or a pension that had cash and I didn't have a great deal of experience in this area, then I would definitely look to partner up with somebody like me at the time. You know, when I was doing that kind of stuff, I was partnering with four or five different groups of people. And what was great about that, it was kind of a party that worked in both ways. I would be earning 
fees that would actually, you know, allow me to focus my 100% of my time on this. So I had a small team around me. This paid their salaries. It paid for my time to kind of focus on this. But what the benefit was that if we went in, say, 50-50 with a business partner, my business partner would be putting in the cash. I'd be putting in cash as well. But that new partnership we created would be paying my business to go and manage the deal. And the deal would, the, the business would pay me a bit of a salary so I could keep the kind of the show on the road. But what was great about it was that I was often being introduced to new deals that I didn't know about. That, I mean, I was constantly on the lookout, but if, you know, plenty of people with pensions and with businesses and stuff, they may be aware of an asset that they own. For example, if you're, if you're thinking about, if you have a business and you're thinking about moving into an office, rather than, you know, renting it, what you could do is actually be part of a development where you're the anchor. And uh, there may be, you know, things like that that work quite well. So it's always good to find somebody that is kind of in that space and that might be able to monetize just relationships that you have or opportunities that come your way. Yeah, absolutely. So create partnerships, get, you know, get yourself known out there that you're actually actively looking for something. Cool. Yeah, and it work, works both ways. You know, I, like property managers or development managers like me at the time, that's what I was focused on doing. I was getting it out there that this is what I did so that they would come to me, but vice versa. You know, if I knew somebody was doing something, I'd make a beeline straight to them. And it was a great strategy because it worked both ways. They had, they didn't have the time to do it, but they had the money. And I didn't have like all of the capital because I was spread across five or six different deals at any one time. But this allowed me to bring in new capital and find new opportunities. Yeah, collaborations, partnerships for me is absolutely, you know, it's, it's kind of core of commercial property. As um, it's a you know like any property, it's it's a you know capital intensive asset class, and you always need you know whenever anyone talks about no money down, there's always money coming from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. And then you know thinking about kind of scaling forward, obviously we've all had our ups and downs. We've been on the roller coaster of success, and we've had failures. But thinking about you know one of your failures, what what is the biggest lesson that you learn from that failure? You know, failure, and you know, because for me, the seed of the seed of opportunity is always within failures, kind of thing. Yes, look in in that environment and take you know take that that gift forward. It then usually molds you or changes you in terms of your approach. So, what kind of um, was your kind of biggest insight in terms of looking at you know you know something that didn't go quite wrong, quite right, and what did you take from that? And that's been really successful going forward, kind of thing. Well, I mean, there's so many because I made some big mistakes and it cost me a lot. But uh, over the years, I mean, one of the biggest things is that success can breed all sorts of ego issues. And uh, I, I went through this really aggressive ramp up in my um, in my business and I was super aggressive. I was borrowing heavily and I was on this really rapid growth strategy. And in this in the space of about you know five years, I went from zero to 65 million in, in terms of portfolio size. And I mean, it was really rapid. And I also didn't have any downturn, like any, any down years in that buildup. So everything was turning to gold. And I had about a million a year in passive income by the, by the end of this period. And I, I just remember kind of thinking, I can do no wrong. Everything is just going to keep on going. This is like I've figured out the formula for success. And if I just keep doing this for the next 10, 20 years, I'll be a billionaire. And I didn't think that there was any kind of a downturn going to come. And 
Sure enough, it did come. 2008 hit me like a freight train and I was suddenly on the back foot. And uh, within two years of 2008, I was 16 million underwater with three banks chasing me around the world. And it was excruciatingly painful, very, very humbling. I mean, at one stage, they did this big sweep of all of my rental income. And so I was actually, I had zero income at one stage. And I actually had to rely on family to help to kind of bail me out, basically, and keep a roof on my head. So, I mean, when I say humbling, absolutely the most humbling thing going back to family after years of me living the high life, driving sports cars and flying first class, suddenly you're going back with the cap of the out, you know, can you help me? And so, you know, I, I, I took a big beating and I was humbled in a big way. And I realize now that the mistakes that I made were about five years previous. And so one of the biggest things is, is that the stuff you're doing today is baked into your outcome in the future. So if you don't go and make silly decisions today, you're not going to pay the price today, but five years from now, you will be paying the price and there will be no reversing the whatever you have done in the past. So in my case, living the high life and kind of thinking to myself, you know, buying that second car in the driveway when I already have a brand new car, all of this stuff that just seemed like, you know, well, I'm making a million a year. Why don't, why can't I do this? Because the income will just keep on coming in like this. And not realizing that the, you know, the property world works in these terrible cycles and that, you know, you're on your way up, you're on your way up. There will be a point where you're at the pinnacle and now you're going to face a couple of years of going down. And if, unless you're putting stuff aside for the down years, you are really building in a major headache for yourself. And a lot of people don't realize that. And so I've been sharing my story. You know, I don't necessarily want to go out sharing my humbling story, but I do think it's very, very important that people hear it because there's plenty of guys out there with the flashy car and the flashy watch, and it's the bank who's funded all of this. And they think, you know, I'll just keep on doing what I'm doing and fund all this. But the bank at some point will pull the plug. And that's when the water goes out and you're left naked <laughs> and everyone knows. And it's pretty humbling and it's an ego bashing exercise. And so don't get caught up in all that stuff. Just, you know, stay, stay kind of humble is my opinion. I think that's a great point. We went through a similar exercise where we're, uh, on a completion meeting after nine months of legals with a PLC selling the business, retaining the properties and get that nice cat bump. Um, they were named on the deal at quarter past 11 at night. And we started at six in the morning. Cost me nine years of my life. Uh, nightmare. But, and it was humbling. But I think the key thing is what you're putting across is um, a number of things, but delayed gratification is, you know, should be right up there, you know, number one. Number two, always, uh, you know, become a squirrel and start packing your nuts away. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like when you say delayed gratification, I sort of say the big issue is premature gratification. It's like people thinking like, you know, buying things before the deal is even done. I bet you if we had, like you were expecting to sign the deal that night, I bet you'd already spend some money in anticipation of, you know, things being a lot better in a week or two. We didn't have time to do anything. You know, this, well, that's fair enough. I mean, in my case, I, I remember I got, I got planning permission for a site and the planning permission, um, we had spent about two and a half to three years trying to get this planning permission. And then suddenly we got the planning permission and the value of the, of the site like jumped in value. And I can remember saying, okay, now I can afford to go out and borrow all that money to go and buy that fancy car. Um, because this site is going to deliver me, you know, a, a big profit. 
but I hadn't actually crystallized the profit. Now, as it turns out, I did make a nice profit on that, but it was that whole mindset of, you know, take the payday now, even though it's not for another year, 18 months away. If you are taking the payday and it is a year and a half away, all you're doing is putting yourself more in debt, kind of thing. Exactly. Uh, and it's, you know, but it, people just, they justify this to themselves. And what it is, is at the end of the day, if you pare back all the layers, it's really just weakness. It's like your discipline is weak if you, if you do that. If you, you have to kind of be disciplined and patient and do wait until the money is actually physically in the bank. Don't be paying yourself on the assumption that the deal will happen and you'll do great. There was a capital event, always deduct the tax first, pack it away. You're actually dealing with net free proceeds <laughs> as opposed to that. And don't get caught up in the comparison lifestyle that I see happening now on Instagram and all these things. You've got so many people and it's like they're looking at the, you know, their feed and they're seeing the guy, you know, sitting in the private jet or driving the Rolls Royce and all of this kind of stuff. And there's this kind of thing like, oh, how is it that that guy's my age and he's got all of this stuff and, you know, I should have this. But you don't know anything behind the scenes like that guy could be borrowed up to 99 percent. And like this is basically he's like rolling the dice and it's all a big gamble. You don't know whether he's got family money paying for all of this. You just don't know the story. And so don't compare yourself with others. It's just it's a it's a falsehood and it's a kind of an exercise in futility. And I think that's you just answered the next question. What is, <laughs> what is your most valuable lesson you've learned? And I think that's probably it's got to be the top of the tree or up there anyway, in the top five, you know? It's way up there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the three, the four, there's, there's a thing called the four E's that I kind of, I, I recite every now and then, and that's your ego, your emotions, the economy and events. And those four things will take you down in some shape or form. Your ego, we've already talked about your emotions, like there's this emotional roller coaster. And when somebody offers you a price that you feel is below market, sometimes your mind is saying, get out of here. I'm not going to accept that. But it might actually be a very logical offer. And don't let your emotions like run, you know, run riot over. Economy, obviously, none, none of us saw COVID coming. So along comes, you know, the economy just tanks overnight. And there you go. You're, you, you just don't know. And then the events, like I was around for 9-11. And I can remember the impact that that had. And, you know, you wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning and everything's great by 9.57, the world has changed and it's like events can take place as well. So don't build yourself into, paint yourself into a corner where you've got all these assumptions that are kind of justifying what your decisions are. Ah, that's a great point. And then in life right now, where you are right now, obviously being very, very successful, had a bit of an issue, you know, uh, with the last crash like we all did and then built back up again, obviously I would imagine a lot safer. So what is your, if you have one, what is your biggest regret? What is that? that, you know, tech that's yet to be tech that's yet going forward? Well, looking back now, I realize that, um, you know, a lot of us have this idea that the way to make money is a particular way. And if you don't stay kind of hungry and um, curious, you often other means of making money will actually kind of like pass you by. And I, it's only recently, I've been like so focused on real estate. I haven't realized that there are so many different ways to actually turn real estate expertise into income. It's not just buying real estate or selling real estate. It can actually be, for example, a lot of people are getting into training and stuff like that. And there's all these other areas. I mean, nowadays you've got people making money on YouTube and all this stuff. 
And I figured all this out. And I kind of regret now that I didn't jump on some of these alternative things earlier. And uh, as well as that, you know, strategies in real estate are good for a period of time, but they actually they expire and you've got to understand that. And so when I was I was mad into retail on the high street and all that, and it was a great strategy, but it it's you know, those days are gone. And in addition to that, the banks were lending money hand over fist. I mean, it, they were shoveling it out the door and it was just, you know, you couldn't get enough of it. Uh, those days are gone as well. And you have to realize that the strategy that you're doing, it has a finite lifespan. And so just remember that whatever you're doing right now, at some point in the near future, it's going to come to an end and you're going to have to find the next, you know, train to jump on. And it might take time to find that train. So always be on the lookout. Yeah. Bill, awesome. And I see that as well. A lot of strand. The beautiful thing about commercial property, though, is the creative nature of it. And, you know, there isn't just one strategy. And really, your strategy is probably defined from your own personal journey itself. You know, because I see people in commercial that come from a professional background. I'm from a, a business buying background. And, and you look at things completely differently. So your ability to buy something or offer is going to be different depending on what you're putting there. You know, which I find absolutely fascinating. I love that. Um, it's, it's just a great space. I just love it. It's, it's like, I, it's a beautiful game, you know? It is. It, it's a fantastically c creative environment. And, and one of the things I love is, is creativity. I mean, uh, my architectural background, I guess, kind of coming through, but I love approaching things in, in a different manner than the way it is, you know, um, being done traditionally and try to find an angle or something that's a little bit different. So I'm going to ask you a question. If there was, if you had the Gavin planetary billboard that literally you can get your message out to millions, what would it say and why? Um, well, the first thing that jumps to mind is uh, what I already mentioned before, patience and discipline. And uh, the second thing I would say is just remember that this is a business, not a lifestyle. And a lot of people I see, they want to get into real estate because they see it as a kind of a lifestyle improvement. And it certainly can be, and it can allow you to kind of have the freedom that you want, but never forget that it's a business. So I would say, if it's not patience and discipline, then it's, this is a business, not a lifestyle. And uh, primarily because when I got involved and when things started to go really, really well, I started to kind of think about every penny that I was making was kind of a building block in my lifestyle, as opposed to looking at it as a, as a, as an piece of the business and that capital that I should be putting away or paying down bank loans, I was kind of saying, okay, I want to have the house in Spain, I want to have the apartment in New York, I want to have the fancy car, need the fancy car in Spain as well, of course. And all of this stuff was kind of being prioritized ahead of the business. And what I should have been doing was parking a load of cash into either paying down debt or building a, you know, the reserve fund, the, the, the nuts that the squirrel packs away. Um, and that was the mistake that I made. And just that's why I kind of remind people just to kind of stay humble and don't let the, you know, the, the, the what do you call it, the premature gratification get a hold of you and start to become a habit because it's a bad habit once and it will bring you down. So build cash piles or day reduction or hopefully a combination of the both. Because whenever the cycle comes on the downward cycle, uh, forced revaluations require extra excess cash. You know, to yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, a combination of both because typically what happens is the banks see you as a good customer who is conservatively repaying debt without 
being forced to. And also you've got some cash for the rainy day because when everyone else is being forced by the banks to do stuff, they give you a little bit of leeway and you've also got that little bit of extra cash now to go and take up opportunities that are out there. Absolutely. So this decade for, for me is going to be the greatest wealth transfer of the whole decade from the baby boomer generation to the next two um, you know, generations. Uh, you know, there's going to be tremendous opportunity. So for this decade, what's your one big thing, Gavin? What was your one big thing you want to achieve this decade? Well, I mean, from my point of view, it's I, I'm trying to transition away from my concentration on real estate. One of the reasons I've been kind of getting out in doing podcasts and media and stuff like that is in the past, I was 100% focused on real estate. And I mean, it was absolute 100% tunnel vision on deals, the amount of deals that I could do, um, and just everything was on that. And the problem with that was, as I found in 2008, is that when, in the, when the real estate market crashes, you've got quite a couple of years of you know, sitting around twiddling your thumbs with nothing to do. And so it's having an alternative you know, source of income. And so, I mean, it's diversifying your portfolio, figuring out ways to kind of produce the additional income that you want, whether that's through stocks and shares or whether that's through online entrepreneurship and things like that. So I'm kind of looking at you know, splitting my income sources into three different categories. One will be, you know, investment returns from, say, the stock market or bonds or whatever, um, re- the real estate market, and then from online entrepreneurship and, and the kind of stuff that we're doing now. The idea being just to have those three different stools, legs of a stool, say. So in the event that one market crashes, you still have, you know, something coming through and the other one to take advantage of. Are you thinking about any business acquisitions? Uh, to complement the existing you know, hard assets? One of the areas we're looking at is flex space. And um, our, our portfolio is mostly uh, office buildings that are leased in a traditional manner. And I do think that the flex space kind of thing is going to become bigger and bigger. And so rather than bringing in tenants who will operate you know, and, and have the relationship with the tenants, I would rather be the operator as well. So we may look at either starting our own uh, brand as an operator, or we may buy in somebody who has that expertise and make it part of our portfolio. So really taking big floor plates and splitting up into lots of tenants as opposed to one big tenant. Yeah, well, I just, I mean, the days are numbered, I think, of these long, you know, 20-year leases. And, you know, also, I think the days of schedules of dilapidations are possibly coming to an end. I mean, you know, we're working with people at the moment and they, you know, they have to write us a check for 280,000 and things like that to, you know, to, to walk away from their building. And I can just see them kind of scratching their heads wondering, why are we doing this? Like, you know, we could have just moved into a WeWork or something and we could have paid, you know, above the odds maybe, but we just walk away when we feel like it. And, um, and so I do think there's a, a lesson there for a lot of big landlords that you do need to kind of pay attention to. I suppose just like the high street, we're going through a period of evolution. And if you can be on that cusp, like Tony Robbins says, anticipation is the ultimate power. If you can look and see what's coming down the road and position yourself with exactly what you're doing, I think that's going to be a great space to, you know, to grow in. I yeah. Agree. One, of the big, one of the big things is that uh, you know, success is not because of resources that are available to you. Re- success is because of your resourcefulness with what you have. 
And uh, and so you've got to kind of look at, look at everything that you've got under your control in your portfolio and think about, okay, how can I improve this? How can I, you know, enhance this asset? How can I, you know, create that extra bit of value that if somebody else, some young guy will come along, buy the asset off me and then do something completely novel with it and double the value. And I want to be the guy that's getting that rather than being the guy who's watching it happen. <laughs> The thing about you know offices and actually high street as well is right now the banks the big funds they're all deeming it toxic they're running a mile what does that do to values well it's the values and if you've got the the answer like the flex space the co-working and all that kind of thing or in the high street our answer is we build residential ops there sell it off to get the ground you know the commercial for free and that which allows you to reduce rents to normalistic or realistic kind of levels because it doesn't matter, you've reset the capital value of the whole thing. And yeah. then you're at obviously big, huge offices or flex space, uh, which I think is a great idea. And, and it's great because big funds are running away from it this time. The values are plummeting. It's, it's incredible. So I think that's a great thing. You know, look at, uh, you know, problem areas, because as property entrepreneurs, what, who are we? What's our DNA? It's providing creative solutions to problems. And that's a big problem right now. So hats off to you there. Yeah, I think it's going to be, it's a great space and you're obviously a master of it anyway. So anyway, Gavin, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having a chat with you. Love to get you back on. And no doubt uh, we'll see you on Clubhouse very, very soon. And if you're not going to see me on Clubhouse, you'll see me on my own podcast behind the facade. So um, if anyone uh, wants to reach out and, and find me in there, they're more than welcome. So Gavin Gallagher podcast behind the facade on Apple iTunes, I would imagine, and Android. Yeah, cool. Yeah, everywhere and everywhere. And uh, and yeah, and, and reach out. I've got a, a website called GavinJGallagher.com that, um, you know, you can connect with me in there and uh, happy to take on questions or help anybody out if they have a question. You're on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, my handle for pretty much everything is Gavin J Gallagher. And uh, so if you type that in to any, pretty much any social media platform, you're going to find me. <laughs> okay, Gavin J. Gallagher, if you want to follow and in touch, perhaps some kind of partnership, JDB, who knows where these kind of conversations lead to. But in the meantime, Gavin, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks very much. And we'll see you all on the next uh, Taylor Capital live broadcast. Thanks a lot, Dan. Take care.